Okay. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning, Jill. Good morning by you. Afternoon by me. And uh, yeah, what's what's your mug say? Always be yourself unless you can be a unicorn. Then always be a unicorn. I have a unicorn mug. And then I also sometimes just need this. It says, don't make me break out my flying monkeys. There you go. There That's you go. Right. I love those. Yeah, we have a series of funny ones, but this is one of the fun ones. I have a couple of dog mom ones too. Oh, yeah. But it's Friday, so it's unicorn time. It's unicorn time. Mm -hmm. uh, you were on a broadcast this morning. What was that about? Tell us. That is a woman named Sherry Dunleavy, D-U-N-L-E-V-Y. And she has a podcast she does called Graduating Grief. So she wow. and I sort of actually totally look at grief in terms of you get to the other side of it. Yes. She lost yes. her son um, a number of years ago and was a broadcaster um, on uh, network television, I believe. And she, she lost her son and kept going. And then she got in touch with her grief and then she worked through her grief. And now she's recreated her life around helping other folks who have been there and done that find their way back out of it again. I love that. I mean, I do too. I, I always say we teach best what we need to learn and what we're passionate about. And if it gives you joy in learning and reaching out to others, that is how does it get any better than that? I think yeah. we should see if she'll come on here with us because she's oh, that totally be the same. In fact, she mirrored your words this morning. She said, um, you know, you got to be able to find your joy again. And and I had to find a way to give back, which, of course, is we know one way of people moving out of the grief process is the give back. It Exactly. I mm -hmm. mean, it just, you know, if you think of uh, grief as as energy just as mm -hmm. an energy unto its own, moving energy rather than being stagnant. And even sometimes moving forward, sometimes moving back. Uh, you and I have talked about that in myriads of ways. And that's why you and I talk about grief because we can talk about it. People will hear it differently. Uh, I, I was giving an example of something else to you when I was chatting. It's like you have to be able to talk a couple different languages and and no one language is correct. Right. Or wrong. Mm -hmm. So although um, some people's realities would have you believe there it's always wrong or it's right. Right. Which is something she ran into as well. Yeah. Right. And she had just lost her beloved puppy um, who had been with her in a lot of years, but that was like her heart dog like my Adele was, like your kitty mm -hmm. was. And so she, we canceled on Monday because both of us needed to, but she said she just needed a chance also to recollect and to mm -hmm. collect. And this morning she said, you know, I'm, I've told people about it and they always want to offer sympathy. And she said, and I don't tell people because I want sympathy, which is also something grievers say. They just want to share where they are. You know, uh, if you don't mind me talking about uh, yeah. Charlie, my cat. Please do. I, um, you know, we also, like I said, teach best what we need to learn. And uh, the whole 
I, I will say Charlie is one of two cats that grew up together and Oscar is probably my heart, like my, my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Daryl, but Oscar laying here, but Charlie was so young. He was only five and a half years old and I knew something was going on. I got him to the doctor. He had lost three pounds. How can you tell sometimes when they're real furry? So he had lost this weight. He, he was being finicky, but sometimes cats are. But I got him in about as soon as I realized the two together. And they did the blood work. And I probably knew nurse-wise and also in my gut that anything we did probably wasn't going to help, but I was going to go through those motions anyway yeah, till yeah. I could say stop. So my daughter, God love her. She's, she's got the guts for it. She came over, held him while I gave him uh, sub Q fluids as for people that don't know for your pets, it's a needle under right by the back of their neck in this case, mm -hmm. and you give him 100 cc's. And the first day, I think he turned around because he had that much energy. And then within two more days, he spiraled down. I called her on Friday and I said, don't come on Saturday. He took a turn for the worse. I mean, he was disoriented. He was walking crooked. He wasn't eating at all. And I like anybody when faced with decisions, I said, uh, I hope you die at home. If not, I'm taking you to walk you to the rainbow bridge. Yeah. And then, you know, sleepless nights, of course. And he just wasn't doing it because like a puppy, he still like wants to go. He's sitting there for his treats. They know the rustle, the bag twice a day. And they, he's sitting there, but he's so nauseous. He can't even walk straight and he's not eating. And on Saturday night, Sunday morning, I said, I have to bring him to the vet. And Daryl let me make all the decisions. And so I did that. We did that. And I just, I cried my heart out. And then I cried some more all the time. And I'm sharing this with our listeners because sometimes you need to hear another grief story. Plus I want to tell my grief story. Right. And so I had written people say, I'm telling you what's going on with Charlie and don't call. I don't have the energy to talk right now. I didn't want to, and I didn't for two full days. I did not answer any call, one call, but did not. And even clients of mine, I said, I'm not able to talk now. How are you? I'm sad, you know, and to even say that, and in some of the professional communities like ministers and stuff like that, they don't want you sharing your personal life. I don't quite believe in that. I think you can share up to a point. Mm -hmm. And so I did up to a point. Mm -hmm. And then um, Monday, I was just in a fog, right? And just doing my best. 
Uh, one of the things on Sunday, after I'd walked into the bridge and said goodbye, a friend reached out to me. How are you? A good friend. And I made this comparison and I asked her, I said, is it wrong of me to like have flashbacks about the choices I had to make for my mom 20 something years ago? Because there was only two weeks, right? Let's give her some chemo. And finally I had to say, no, yeah, this is, this is not giving her any quality of life. Let's move her to hospice. But where there's life, there's hope. I hear you and then I know. And the same questions I ask myself, should I have, as we talk about it to our listeners, I was going through. And I had, it's not that I still didn't question, should I have, I mean, to listening audience, I will be quite forthcoming that I don't have thousands of dollars to help my cat to go through. Yes, he's part of the family and I don't have health insurance to help with him. Right. I, I don't have that. So I had to make some hard choices. You know, in my mind, if it's an acute problem that I know can be fixed or there's a good chance they could be fixed, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm all for it. You know, let's take out a little bit of a loan, a credit card to do that. But when you say kidney disease in an animal and it's not just an acute episode and there's no turnaround, can't do it. And it's and same, and same thing with humans. It's the same with humans. It's not a money thing, but are you extending their life for you or are you giving them any quality of life? Right. And so I wrestled with that, comparing it to my mom and going, what am I doing comparing this to my mom? But my friend Rochelle said, it's okay. This is, this is, this is good. And I don't know about you, but when you go at, at least here at the University of Illinois and you bring your beloved fur baby or sometimes they're not fur babies, sometimes they're snakes, sometimes they're chameleons, whatever, and you bring them in to cross the Rainbow Bridge, uh, they ask about cremation. Mm -hmm. And so now probably for costs or whatever, they farm it out well. You had, I called the funeral home the next day. They said, go to the website. I called them back. I said, I'm grieving and your website is really confusing. They said, yes. And I said, as a grief counselor, let me tell you a few quick fixes. Yeah. <laughs> you need this feedback. And um, so let me just say, I, I got through that day. And then I was feeling like I needed to let my flying monkeys out because I was frustrated. Yeah. So I channeled it really well because we've had problems with our TV for since we bought it. So I called up the company and I said, I'm pretty upset. 
And I'm not taking this out on you, but I want you to hear in my voice. So I just looked like, wow, I channeled my uh, flying monkeys in a really healthy way. And they should be getting back with us about getting a new TV. So, and every day, just like you talk about Adele, I, all of a sudden, I just started crying. It just bubbles up. And um, when I think about some of the images and saying goodbye, this is how Facebook worked really well. I know people say, oh, blah, 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 blah. Go ahead. Share my images of Charlie. Okay, fine. With the world. It's not like porn. Right. (laughs) So they're my kitties. And so I use that as a way to grieve. And I posted when he was little and when he was older, you know, doing stupid stuff. And then I did something else that I've never done before, Jill. I, each person that wrote something, I imagined seeing them Mm -hmm. as best I could. Or I, I sometimes I actually said, who's this person? And I looked them up. And I thank them silently. Every emoji, I care, sad face, heart, thumbs up, whatever. It was a connection. I took every one of those in and I made sure to thank people. This is Facebook at its best for supporting, for loving, for being. Seriously, how does it get any better than this? It, You know, Facebook has a real place when it comes to grief and loss, if it's used properly. Right. Now, for the folks who have to rush up and put something up without the family getting to first, no bueno. Yes. But if you are reaching out and saying, I just had a tremendous loss in my life, and I just want to share it, and what you get back are all the feels, Mm -hmm. and you can just imagine those arms around you, because especially right now, none of us can. (sighs) Or you can imagine the color that represents them, or the sensation or the scent that represents them, it really brings it home and and helps you share that loss. It did. And another really close friend sent me flowers and another one sent me a condolence card. And it just sort of made it real as opposed to much like others, you know, 15 years ago, I would hide my grief. So... Because we were supposed Uh, to. That's what we're told because you don't want to make anybody else feel bad. And you don't want to talk about a pet loss because then you're comparing to a person loss and somehow that's bad. But pets who are part of the family, it's a person loss. It's a fur person. And then, and, and many people know this, you probably do. How is the other pet going to grieve? Um, One doctor told me, oh, they don't. This was many years ago. And you know what I did? I took, I didn't dump the ashes, but when the cremains came of runt, this was, I had uh, shock and runt grew up, not as litter (laughs) mates together. And uh, chakra, I put the bag right there and let him lay next to the bag if he wanted He went right up to that bag. He rolled back and forth and he walked off and he was not 
clingy or weird after that. It's like he had closure. So I will do the same for Charlie. I mean, for Oscar that is here. Oscar was in a bad mood. Like, don't touch me. You haven't brought him home. He still uh, will. Uh, he'll look for him at treat time. Mm -hmm. And um, he'll meow after that. Uh, for a couple days, he's been real clingy, and uh, I, I'm keep I keep pointing over there because that's where he is. He's yeah he's sleeping. So we'll see what happens in a couple weeks. Yeah, and for those who are watching, if you've lost a beloved fur person, it's a loss, and it counts. And share it, and tell people you're missing them. Uh -huh. Yeah, I shared with Sherry on her podcast this morning that. My screensaver is Adele. So every morning when I open my laptop, her little eyes and nose are looking at me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And lots of days it makes me smile and some days it makes me twinge. Because you know what? You miss them sometimes. And right now it's just so recent. All of you are still looking for them around the house, which is normal. And it's also normal. People say, am I crazy? That's usually they start with, am I weird or am I crazy? Mm -hmm. You know? What they, what I have seen is like, did I just imagine a swish of a tail? Right. Did I just see something? I don't know. And what does it matter? If it's real, it matters. And it's real to you, so it matters. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. And just like, and I, I do mean this, just like loved ones, when you're used to being greeted and that stops. It's a hole. It's a hole and you feel it when you walk in or it's dinner time or it's treat right. time. Mm -hmm. And that hole is like right here in the middle of your chest or on your back or wherever it is. And you massage it and you give them that love again. Mm -hmm. That's Grief is a process, folks. And you got to talk about it. And it's a process to grow through, not just mm -hmm. go through, but grow through. So, yeah. And it lets you share that love with somebody else. Eventually you're sharing it with your remaining one. And Oscar needs that right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I talk to him like a person and I go, mm -hmm. Hey buddy. So yeah, he's my, uh, what do you call them? Uh, spirit animal or familiar familiar. Yeah. yeah. That's that. That is uh, Oscar sitting right here. So, exactly. I'm glad you're doing cremation and being able to bring him home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, up on the shelf behind me is the are the paw prints of three of ours. Because in this area, when you do a pet cremation, they make a paw print impression, as well as make a little box and put the name and dates on it. Um. The one place was out of my price range to do that, but the animal hospital where I brought Charlie, they made a paw print. They didn't oh. used to do that, but while we were bringing Charlie to the doctor the first time, our, this is just so beautiful, our, uh, our daughter and son-in-law and their family, my grandkids, all were bringing their beloved cat of 15 years to the hospital and you know what i just love the way my stepdaughter does death education they made paw prints at home 
on uh, dough cookies, you know, those dough. Mm -hmm. So they had done that already. And then I suggested one, don't go by yourself. I might have said this already last week. I can't remember. Don't go by yourself. You've never had to walk an animal to the Rainbow Bridge before by yourself. Make sure you go with the family, even if you're the only one that can go in. And bring the whole family with you so that when you do that for a human or or non-human and you show up, it teaches your kids to show up for a crisis that you're not going to be pushed away. It teaches you to just show up and let yourself be absorbed in that love. You know, right. so, and they did that. So we're a week behind them. And then my 10 year old granddaughter wrote me and she said, sorry to hear about Charlie. I said, I'm still sad and it hurts. And I know it was the, it was the right thing to do as his mommy. And she said, sort of like Kira, which was the name of their cat. And I said, exactly. What a wise 10 year old. You can tell who her grandma is. <laughs> <laughs> well, her, her mom too. I mean, right. well, her I mom, friends you, you passed it down. Yeah, she really, she does death education well. And we don't educate at an early age about death education. And that's uh, how we teach kids about death and dying and how to grieve. Right. It's, right. it's the number one way. And if it's done right, then kids can see that you make decisions based on what information and what resources you have. Right. And that you stay present when you're having to walk someone over the bridge. That's and right. And that you share that grief together. That, mm -hmm. That's how we teach kids. Right. And, and, and our veterinarians right now, because of COVID, you can't go in the hospital. But they're doing those moments at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And they're bringing people in through the back so that they don't upset the people waiting at the front who aren't allowed in. Mm -hmm. But they also have a candle they light um, mm -hmm. at the front that says, if this is lit, somebody's saying goodbye to their love, beloved friend. Mm -hmm. you know, please keep it quiet and be respectful when they come out. This, the animal hospital let both Daryl and I in because right. it was specifically for it. And they took us in a back way. They just quickly brought right. us to a room and. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I think a hard thing for people is to show that vulnerability to their children. Right. Like. I, I was hoping we'd grow out of the 50s and 60s and 70s, but that still gets passed down. And they want to either compartmentalize it or replace it, replace it, not acknowledge it. I found myself uh, cooking a lot keep busy so I didn't have to feel everything and my daughter god love her she said I'm keeping busy because I am not able to think about this right now with my three cats in the prospect that this might happen even though she's 
she's really wonderful. She's, she's helped me through with other cats and I've helped her with hers and, you know, she's, she'll get through it, but it's still something that, uh, you get through and you process and it's okay to be busy for a while. Oh yeah. It's okay. Acknowledging that you are keeping busy because of is a certain awareness. That's just wonderful. That's so, the healthy part, right? That's the healthy part. Right. I said, My mom I used to polish that. silver. I always knew someone was dying when the silver got came out and got polished because we didn't use silver. Right. But you know, uh -huh. the silver, yeah. silver service for eating on. Yeah. She had small children. Like why would she do that? But right. if someone was sick and dying, then the silver came out. But so did the conversation. Yeah. This is why we're yeah. doing it. Right. Yeah. That's how you do it. I am so glad that you and your daughter can share that together. We can. And my stepdaughter, the uh, stepson, maybe not as much because he just doesn't do grief that way, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. Um, another thing that happened, another loss, I, I know I told you about my friend that's in a, a coma. Mm -hmm. And when I first heard it, once again, and I got the news about Charlie. I yelled at my friend in my head, say, look at you cannot die. I cannot handle two, two losses just like that. Do not die. Do not die. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you have you, no permission. You have no permission. You're going to piss me off and you don't want to piss off the clown. And while I make jokes about that, hey, like other people don't talk like that. They do. It's right. normal. It's I normal. It. Yeah. No dying yeah. today. <laughs> my girl, my girlfriend's group has lost a number of parents in the last 12 months. And so now it's okay. You got to tell your mom, no, no dying. We, we've had enough of that for a while. We need to go like at least six months without one of these happening again. Right. As a nurse, how many times on the, on the floor, you'd have like, you'd literally have to be in an eight hour shift with two people um, transitioning and you've pronounced them, it, which means a lot of, sorry, a lot of extra work. It's, it's all this. And finally, you literally go, not one more person on my ship. Please wait 15 minutes. While right. it's dark humor and yet, Look at, imagine those people, those that those nurses, those staffs, those doctors having to say goodbye to COVID patients. Over and over. Over and shift. over. They're psychologically, I mean, the dark humor, yes. But after a while, dark humor poops out. Yeah, they are, are struggling. Really struggling with a, with a trauma. This is, this is traumatic. People do not realize what is going on with those healthcare workers. Right. You know, we all say, well, there's no hospital beds. If there are no hospital beds, that means those staff are overwhelmed. I was at my, my doctor's office yesterday. Um, and there's one nurse left in a, an office that has five and there are no doctors left where there should be two and there should be two researchers there and there are none everyone has been deployed they said that 
three or four clinics had been turned into hospital beds. Uh -huh. And all of them are facing one loss after another, which is also part of loss of their identity because they are, even in ICU, where there are a number of deaths, they're not used to this level and this frequency and this intensity. Yeah. And they're used to having families there so they can bring the family in and right. let the family say goodbye. And now they're by phone. By phone, by picture. Tablet, right? I, I know. I know. And it's. It's part of their whole being. Long-term care, you expect it. But like I was saying, you have two per shift and you're like. And they're older. It's like, once again, you put into like priority, even with Charlie, he was a young, he was a baby he compared was. to my 15 year old, uh, 15 year old cat or whatever. This right. is a baby. This is too soon. Imagine with family members and it's the an out of order death and those sting more. Exactly. Even they all sting. Yeah. Right. And to have that over and over, you're like, if, when I, uh -huh. go ahead, go Even ahead. Even our long-term care facilities, you know, when we have 20 and 30 people who die in the same facility inside of two weeks. Yeah. Nobody you're like that. Exactly. Nobody. You know, I, I wrote about this in a story that in another book, but you know, back in the day when I worked in the hospital, part of it was the cancer clinic, hospice, dump floor. That's where we were. And um, it would be nothing for me to be in one room joking with a patient, go into the next room, that would be hospice, go into the next room, put a body on the cart, and then go to the next room and have to joke again. And you you feel like you're in this weird emotional pinball machine, but you shove your feelings, shove your feelings, shove your feelings. For protection. For protection. And you find a way to cope with that. Imagine. And that's where hospice humor comes from. Because that's how people in hospice cope. That is exactly right. And that's how ER nurses cope and ICU nurses and staff cope. You develop a specific form of humor to what you're experiencing. And it's dark and satirical, but it takes the edge off and yet joins everybody at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, for our listening audience out there, uh, this is part of life. And the fallacy that you go through life, you know, like this, there's some deep lows. And yeah. how can you pick yourself up? How can you let others pick yourself, pick you up? How can you let yourself let others pick you up? And I think it's all just super important. So do we have any people listening? Yes, to you? I'm, I was responding while you were talking. I didn't want to interrupt. Oh, Deborah Norwood okay. is with us. And she said, oh, I love all, her. she really appreciated you sharing about Charlie and for letting people know that it's okay to be sad 
and that the flashbacks and reasoning are relatable and that your honesty is super refreshing because it's important that we share this instead of being competitive, that we all share the grief. And yeah. then she loved that we are recognizing the cleaning up and how we do things. She says furious cleanups and reorganizing are one of her coping mechanisms, which is mine as well. I, I had our living room and downstairs painted two days after my wife died. So it would look nice for the reception. Like who does that? I know. I know. So I do I know. that. Right. And then she said she wanted to thank us for bringing up the grief of hospital workers because their grief is underplayed and we view them as heroes. And you have to be a hero. You can't have emotion. You know, Superman doesn't cry. Right. Yeah. You know, that's a great title of a book. Superman doesn't cry and other fallacies of life. So <laughs> uh, Deb is uh, Deborah Norwood is an amazing woman. The things that she does, I can't even name them all. And she is just a blessing to the whole universe. She's part of uh, Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, as well as Laughter Yoga and World Laughter Tour. And so people who are in those, uh, it's like a stand-up comedian sharing their grief. You know, how, mm -hmm. how can you do that? How can you keep it real while still uplifting? And I think you just, sometimes you just back off completely. Like I had written, people said, I am not able to talk text only, right. not able to do this. And it's not setting up boundary lines. It's not blocking people. It's not, you know, doing all this stuff. It's being honest with yourself, what you are capable, not capable at that moment, knowing right. full well, you will go back to some, I don't want to say normal, but you will go back to an integration of loss. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what that's what we try to weather as human beings is integration of loss. Which is why we titled this humor, grace and grief, because part of that integration is being able to laugh, being able to find humor, organic humor, as you point out, needs to be real, not forced. And we need to have the grace to integrate it into our lives and our world and how we do things and our systems we set up. And we still need to be able to grieve and say it out loud and exactly. not box it in and have it received well. So that if right. you're talking about I, I miss Charlie or I'm saying I miss Adele, it doesn't become an oh, I'm so sorry. It becomes, wow, that must, that, that's such a big loss. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah. That's what grievers need to hear. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Or, you know, my heart supports your heart. It, I'm mm -hmm. so, I'll tell you, I, I absolutely had a meltdown one day when my, I kept hearing, I'm sorry about your mom. I'm sorry about your mom. If I heard, I'm sorry. That's I know. common. People are like, if I hear it one more time. I know. So <laughs> a friend explained it to me when I said, if I hear that one more time, we were at, a, we were at church. I will be as ununity like as possible, right? right. <laughs> and she said, Enough. she said, you know, people say that because they don't know what else to say. Right. So, you know, 
people don't know how to describe dying and one of the best uh do we have a couple more minutes oh, or we do do, we yeah. no, okay one of the best ways was robin williams and patch adams yes talking to the dying man who didn't want to talk about his dying and he was saying uh pushing up daisies you know and and doing this and doing this and he just was rattling them off i would i think i'm gonna have to make a rap song or something about expressions to use for dying yes you know i mean when they're dead when someone's already dead here's all the things you can say and maybe put it to a little music jill and make it some humor but make sure you're careful you use it around some people don't like it but yeah in fact when my first wife was being told she was at the end of life with her illness her pulmonologist who knew her as a nurse so they had that relationship yes said, you know you need to start getting ready you're gonna be pushing up daisy soon nothing more i can do exactly it is reality you got to talk about it yeah yeah and uh i I was lucky enough to buy this little pamphlet book when I was, uh, I'm going to say it this way, when I was touring in uh, Saskatchewan about, uh, and Saskatoon doing humor and laughter when I was touring. I love that. And this one guy at an AIDS clinic had written this little booklet on, don't say this to me. Don't say I'm sorry. And he wrote all these things. I should dig that out. Is it? Put it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yep. We should there learn from people who have faced it. Deborah right. says, love the distinction, organic humor. I call it humor for peace. I love that. Yeah. I had a question. On Facebook, it gets old to say condolences. How do we express more than expressions? But the serendipities you were thinking about that how do we express it i because i usually either feel a death or a loss in my gut or in my heart mm -hmm. and so i like to come from those two places so the grief groups that i'm part of i when i do write in i'll say my heart is supporting yours uh, my, I stopped saying, I'm very careful about this. I don't like to write to people, my heart breaks for you because your body listens to that. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to put that energy in or out. So I'm saying, I cannot imagine how you are feeling, which is accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, my heart goes out to yours. Mm -hmm. um, I often talk about the heart. I will talk about, oh my goodness, I I can feel that blow, which I can. I mm -hmm. felt it in my gut. So mm -hmm. quite often you'll see things like that, or it is totally okay to say, I have no words. Mm -hmm. Deb likes love. My heart is supporting yours. Yeah, yeah, and you know, putting that out and yeah, that's, that's something I do. I, I will pull together some expressions that I other usually, people. Yeah. I usually I say things like my heart joins with yours. 
Yes. Um, sometimes I'm celebrating. My heart hurts with yours, and yes. I'm here to stand by you. And I frequently will frame it as um, how lucky they were to be so loved by you. Absolutely. Which is Absolutely. kind of a take on the traditional Jewish statement right. um, that is said when someone has died. But it's it's my May own their memory be a blessing. blessing right? It's always right. best said with a Yiddish accent. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm there with you. I don't know what you're feeling, but I'm there to stand by you. But my goodness, what a legacy they've left in you! Which saying for the pain. What what memories? You know, someone posted the year anniversary about their dad's death, and I said. Uh, something to the fact, my heart goes out to you as you go through memories today. I like that. I mean, that's, and you know, when Charlie died and you wrote hugs, only hugs, that meant everything. That I, meant I, I was doing this from this yeah, world. Right, right. And uh, that's why I think, I know there's books out on it, but I'll, I'll, put some in here. You know what? First, I'm going to call out to Facebook and I'll tag our page too. And I'll mm -hmm. ask, what do other people say? And then we'll collaborate for next week. Deborah says, great idea. Make us a pamphlet. So I'm going to say, if anyone has ideas, we will add them in. Yes. All right. Yes. All right, so next week we shall meet. We'll be past Inauguration Day and hopefully be able to take a breath, mm. share where our heads have been, and we will be back with some more humor and a lot more grace. And we'll share some of the grief and we'll be ready to put our pamphlet together. I totally agree. You know, you're speaking, Deb, Deb may or may not know this, but you're speaking at the AATH uh conference. So that might be a perfect time to launch that as a piece of paper. I, uh, you and Deb Price. Mm -hmm. Yes, I will suggest that to her. I have to email her tonight. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Good idea. All right, dear. All right, guys. I will see you next week, Deb. Everyone else will see you on Friday of next week, 10 a.m. That sounds wonderful. Bye, everyone. Bye. Have a Have a good week.